Good morning. Good morning and welcome to a special chapel here this morning. My name is Bob Yoder, one of the campus pastors. We are very delighted to have Michelle Hirschberger with us here. Welcome, Michelle. If you are not familiar with Michelle, Michelle is a popular speaker, author of several books, including God's Story, Our Story, Exploring Christian Faith and Life, and A Christian View of Hospitality, Expecting Surprises, and co-author of Now It Springs Up. Michelle has also served as pastor, playwright, project associate for The Giving Project, And she currently serves as Bible professor and chair of the ministry division at Heston College in Heston, Kansas, a sibling institution to ours here at Goshen. And she's a Goshen College alum, getting ready to celebrate, can I I say, 25 years here in a couple of weeks. She'll be back for homecoming. Uh, uh, Michelle is married to Dell, and they have three uh, children, uh, one of which is a student here, but I won't mention Tara's name. In addition to chapel this morning, she will also be presenting chapel on Friday, uh, but also this evening a newcomer, Center 19, uh, from 9 to 10 p.m., talking about and facilitating a conversation on nurturing a vibrant uh, spiritual life in a college setting. So we invite you all to come out for that. But in addition to those three public settings, she will also be speaking in several classes, um, some several uh, lunch, dinner, dialogue conversations with different student and faculty groups. And so um, she's going to be quite tired by the time she flies out of here on Friday afternoon uh, to get home for her son's 15th birthday on Saturday, where they'll be celebrating that. This morning, as we do in our chapels, I light this lamp behind me as a reminder of God's presence, God's spirit dwelling with us in this sacred space and time. Let's listen to the following words of the Gospel of Matthew from chapter 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven... And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's pray together. Gracious God in heaven, God of Peter, of Jesus, of the disciples, God of us, God of Michelle. We welcome you into this space, prompt our hearts, our minds, our spirits, and our attitudes to listen to the words of Michelle and the words that you have spoken through her. Amen. Uh, Let's 
sing a little bit. Um, you can. You have a bunch of options this morning. Actually, just two. You can either turn in your Sing the Journey to number two, or you can look up there, and the words will be there, and you can de defer to us for your musical guidance. Uh, we will sing through once, and then we'll sing through the whole thing again. Please join us uh, when we get back to that point. a privilege to be here. As Bob said, it really has been 20 years since I graduated from Goshen. And so, of course, this college has a very special place in my heart. Thanks for having me. For the next three days, I want to challenge each of us to fight the temptation to make Jesus into our own image. Instead of being shaped by the Spirit, into the image of the biblical Jesus. And that's tough. Oh, oh, oh that's tough stuff. It, it, oh, it's, it's always more fun, more convenient to have our own little Jesus. A Jesus that looks like us instead of the other way around. But it's deadly. 
when it's wrong. There are two keys, I think, to fighting this temptation. One is to understand Jesus more fully in his cultural historical setting. And the second key is to believe in Jesus and to believe in and participate in the spiritual world. A spiritual world that affects the physical world, yes, but a spiritual world nonetheless. I struggle hard with the second one. Not only sometimes having a hard time believing in Jesus, but also accepting the fact that Jesus believes in me. But I get ahead of myself in the story. So, on to the story. Jesus is with his disciples, doing what rabbis do, teaching, talking, the disciples eating up every word. They loved him, you know. Followed him everywhere. And that's what you do. You, you follow the rabbi wherever he goes. You, do, you say what he says. You, you, you do what he does. He walks on water. You walk on water. Or try. <laughs> oh, it's such an honor to be picked. Every little Jewish boy longs to be a rabbi. Dreams of it. At the tender age of six, they go to Bet Safer. House of the Book, where they study and memorize the law, the Torah. And then when they're 10, they go to Bet Talmud, House of Learning, where they study and memorize the rest of the 39 books. But only the best of the best go on to Bet Midrash, House of Study. Only the best hear the words from the rabbi, come follow me. Only the best of the best get to be disciples. The rest go home, get married, follow in their father's footsteps. Honorable things all, but not that special calling. Not everybody makes the cut. Oh, but for the ones who do, oh, they think, oh, I'm a disciple of the rabbi, and I'm going to learn all these wonderful things, and someday I too will be a rabbi. And life is sweet. So what does it mean that James and John were with their father Zebedee when Jesus found them? What does it mean that they were fishing in their father's boat, following their father's trade, when they heard the words, come follow me? And best yet, oh, this rabbi, this rabbi Jesus, he's different. His yoke is easy. His words ring Except right now at the moment, you wonder if Jesus isn't a little bit directionally challenged. He just turned down the road to Caesarea Philippi, and, and quite frankly, that is not an acceptable place for a Torah-observant Jew to be. I mean, doesn't he know where he's going? With all due respect, Rabbi Jesus, you know, if, if my parents knew I was this close to Caesarea Philippi, well, they would be surprised. They'd be disappointed. I would be so busted. I mean, doesn't he, doesn't, doesn't he know? I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, no. Oh, surely, I mean, sure, I mean, about, maybe he doesn't know about, you know, 
that city, sin city, Caesarea Philippi is the center for the wildest pagan worship in the known world. Built next to a high rock cliff, it is the birthplace of Pan, the Greek god of field and forest, fertility and orgies. Pan, the son of Hermes and some Greek nymph. Pan, a creature too terrible to look at with a, with a head shaped like a goat. Well, this is not right. This is not right. This is an awful place. And, and there are, are sacrifices here and, 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 and sexual acts between humans and animals. And then there's the temple to Augustus, so there's Caesar worship here too. And all of these terrible things, these, these sacrifices, all happen on this big rock. At the bottom of the rock is a wide gaping hole. It is here, so it's understood, here that the demons fly out at night from the underworld. And they call this crevice the gates of hell. Jesus has taken you to a place littered with the, the stuff of the Syrian gods, a place where the Greek gods frolic, a place where the white marble splendor of Caesar worship dominates the landscape, a place of pagan orgies and the crevice of hell itself. But you follow the rabbi wherever he goes. And here he stops, right next to the rock. And he turns and he looks at you. What is the master doing? He tilts his head and smiles. So, who do people say the Son of Man is? The rabbi's never asked that question before. Well, you think. Well, he... Well, well, you're, you're a rabbi, of course, a very good rabbi, maybe the, maybe the greatest. That's the safe answer. That's not what he wants. You're, and everybody's heard the rumblings. You know that he's John the Baptist come back from the dead, or Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. That's what people are whispering. That's the talk. But Jesus doesn't need you to, to tell him that. What is Jesus fishing for? But who do you say that I am? Oh, that's the real question. But how does one answer? I mean, surely this is a test, right? That, that, that this, this is, this, it's got to be a test. I mean, Jesus takes you, you know, all, a long way out of the way, all the way to Caesarea Philippi, a place where no good Torah observant Jew is supposed to be, and then he asks you this question. I'm telling you, baby, this is a test. <laughs> Simon Peter steps out from the rank. And of course, of course it would be Simon. Bumbling, act too fast, put your foot in your mouth, Simon. Nathaniel takes his arm and tries to pull him back into the rank to keep him from embarrassing himself, embarrassing all of you. The whole walking on water thing is still fresh in everybody's mind. <laughs> Simon, the name is so apropos. It means sinking sand, and Simon fits that to a T. Big bravado and no follow through. Simon, please, just step back in the rank and keep your mouth shut. But Simon doesn't keep his mouth shut. And he hesitates for only a moment. You, 
You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He said it out loud. All of you have thought it before, dreamed of it, desired of it, wondered what it would be like, how wonderful it would be to be a disciple of the Messiah. But you know, it's one thing to think it, and it's another thing to say it out loud. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And you are Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. And Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You are Petros, and on this Petra, this rock, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter? Peter? Simon? Simon? Simon is now Peter? And, and rock? What? 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 Rock? What? What? That rock? That, that rock where, where humans and animals have sexual intercourse? That rock with pagan? The rock that has the crevice where the demons fly out? That rock? Simon is now Peter? Oh. Something happens in that small moment. Peter sees a new reality. Huh? The disciples see a new reality. You see a new reality. Jesus is going to use Simon, Peter, to build his church on the most unlikely God-forsaken place on earth. Jesus believes in them. Jesus believes in you. Unless Jesus has just lost his mind. But no, no. No, he goes on. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's what, that's what rabbis do. Rabbis hold the keys to the kingdom. Rabbis bind and loose interpretations of, of Torah. Jesus is not joking. Jesus believes in them. I am going to use you. Simon Peter, I'm going to use all of you. I'm going to use all of you to build my church on the most God-forsaken, hellish, heathen place on earth. You know, a lot of times we talk about how important it is to believe in Jesus. But did you ever think how important it was to... To realize that, belie that Jesus believes in you? That part of believing in Jesus is believing that he will use you? Jesus believes in you. There was a time when I didn't believe. I played the game. And I must say, almost bragging, that I played the game very well. I was the picture of the perfect Christian woman. And, and, no, and, and I was a Christian. I mean, I did believe in Jesus. I just didn't believe that he was still active. And then a woman named Pat came into my life. Let me back up here a minute. I was a young wife and mother living in Garden City, Missouri. Had a beautiful baby daughter with curly black hair. 
And then a couple years later, another sweet little girl. And I ran a daycare and loved it. We, we, we bought an abandoned funeral home and turned it into a daycare. Now that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo, that's another whole story. But, and I loved every part of it. I loved being an entrepreneur. I loved working in the daycare. It was great, except for Pat and her two kids. The kids were disheveled, stinky, and mean. And, 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 Pat, and I had a no smoking rule at my daycare, and Pat would just light one up right after that, just, and just drove me crazy. And she had little marks on her cheeks, and I, and I didn't know what that was all about. And she owed me money, $500. And let me tell you something, daycare doesn't make a lot of money, and, and I needed that money. So one day in prayer, I heard a voice say to me, Go and give Pat two bags of groceries. Now, I didn't hear a literal voice. I, I've never heard a literal voice. And I don't want to. I think it would scare me. And I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, and you must understand that I, I'm like, no. I mean, this is stupid. This, this is stupid. I mean, she owes me money. And I, no. And, and I thought, oh, okay, it's the chili from last night. And... And I, so I just kind of ignored it. And, and, and it was just a feeling. And, it is, and, and I scientifically can't prove to you that it wasn't just my imagination. But it kept coming. I kept hearing it. Two whole weeks. Two whole weeks. And so finally, I, I, on a Thursday night, I, I told my husband, Dill, what I was feeling inside. And he said, oh, this is no big deal. I'll just go to the store, buy about 50 bucks worth of groceries, and, and we'll just deliver them tomorrow. And it'll be done. I'm like, yeah. So we did that. And of course, we knew Pat's schedule. And she is a woman of dignity. She would not want, you know, to have known. I mean, she'd have been mad if she'd have known this. So we waited till after she came to the daycare and dropped her kids off. And then Dell delivered, you know, in a cardboard box, two bags of groceries. And that was it. And, you know, because I kind of thought it might have been God talking to me. I, I kind of thought angels would come down and sing my praises, you know. But no. It, I mean, it, was, it wasn't even really a good day. It was kind of a lousy day. And to this day, even though Dell knows kind of that he did it, he can't exactly remember doing it. It was, that, it was that mundane. And then that was it. And I wasn't so sure that it wasn't indigestion that I was feeling. Two months later, Pat left the daycare and sticking me with now a $650 bill. And of course, she didn't leave her forwarding address because she didn't want me looking her up. And I'm not good at collecting bills. Six months later, I heard the voice again. Um, it was a Sunday afternoon on a spring day. And the voice said, I want you to go and visit Pat. And I'm like, no. I mean, like, I didn't know where she lived. I mean, I knew she lived in Peculiar, Missouri. And yes, there is a Peculiar, Missouri. <laughs> no. But the voice was strong. And so I left my two little girls and husband, and, and I drove up there. And I knew that God would honor me by having her name in the phone book. So I went to a phone booth, kind of like Superman, and I, you know, and I, no, heard her. The address wasn't there. 
So I'm in a town about the size of Goshen, you know, 20 miles from home going, this is the stupidest thing I ever did in my life. And the voice said, see, and I'm so scared to tell the story because, you know, some of you I went to school with long ago, you're thinking, she is nuts. But <laughs> here we go. The voice said, drive down the streets. And the funny thing is, once you start to do these kind of things, like, what do I have to lose, right? <laughs> so I'm driving down the street, but you must understand this part of me, because I'm not a believer very much. I'm going, this is stupid. This is, this is, the, stupidest, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. And, and the third street I go down, I see her kids. And I'm so happy to see her kids. And, and, and they point, Pat's house is right there. And I get out of the car, and I see Pat as a person for the first time in my life. I must admit this to my shame, that always before I saw her as an inferior, as just somebody who owed me money, as, as, as somebody I was in, who was inferior to me. But I saw her, and if the story stopped right there, if the story stopped right there, it would be a good story, a miracle story, because of what happened to me. She took me in the house, and she was glad to see me. And I realized something. The house was cold, and there should have been heat on, and there wasn't. And the children were tugging at her pants. They wanted food. And at that moment, she did not have any food. And I saw something that I should have seen before. But I didn't want to see. Because I didn't want to have to deal with it. We sat down. And she started telling me her story. The story of terrible abuse and physical abuse from her husband. And it was hard to believe it all. But you know what, even if half of it were true, it would be a terrible story of abuse. And I knew part of it was true because now I knew why she had funny marks on her face. When her husband got mad at her, he would take her by her long, beautiful brown hair and, and scrape her face against the concrete walls of the garage. I cried, but she didn't cry. She didn't cry till she got to the part where she was going to commit suicide. It was a Friday, and she knew that she was looking at a weekend without having any money and having two little kids who were hungry. And she had been through those weekends before. Let me tell you, she had been through those weekends before, and she couldn't do it. She, she couldn't hear them cry for food. She, she just couldn't do it. You have to understand that. And so she borrowed a gun from a friend. And she was going to go home, and she was going to shoot the kids and kill herself. And on her way home that Friday, she prayed to Jesus for the first time. And she said, Jesus, if you're up there, I've got to know. Because I'm going to go home and I'm going to shoot the kids and kill myself.
and she turned into her driveway and saw two bags of groceries. An angel sent them, she said. And I never told her otherwise. At, as hungry as they were, she, she, put the, she put the groceries in, in the house, drove to the first church she could find, talked to a pastor, and began a relationship with Jesus that day. But you must understand this. Pat wasn't the only one that God saved that day. God saved me, too. Everything changed for me and for Dell. The two bags of groceries were like, like a Caesarea Philippi experience for me. My name got changed. And I, and I say this story very... Carefully, I, it's not like I, I tell this because I'm so wonderful. No, Dell and I didn't tell the story for a couple years because we didn't even know what to do with it, you know? And I was a louse through most of this. I, 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 I didn't want to help Pat. I didn't even want to know that she was poor because I didn't want to deal with it. It took two weeks to actually believe that God would talk to me. But see, everything has changed. Everything was different for me. I listen to Jesus more carefully now. I expect marching orders. And, and sometimes I get it wrong, painfully wrong. I mean, sometimes it is the chili from last night. You know? But it's different now. I know Jesus as one who is walking in the world now. I see Jesus differently. I see myself differently. I am here today to tell you that he is still talking and that he wants to talk to you all. And, and yes, yes, I know that the rock that Jesus is going to build the church on is not literally a rock cliff in Caesarea Philippi. Our Anabaptist scholars are absolutely right when they say that the real rock, the real rock is the confession that Peter made, the confession that Jesus is Lord. Yes, I agree with that completely. But you know what? Jesus you know, walked 20 miles out of the way and stopped next to a rock that's more pagan than Vegas and he didn't do that for nothing. No. This was no accident. Quite frankly, Jesus can build his church anywhere, even in Goshen. And quite frankly, Jesus wants to use sinking sand Simon people like me and you. And it comes because of the confession, the real confession, the confession that Jesus Christ is Messiah, Lord, the Son of God. And see, and see that's the real rock. That's the real rock. And that, that confession, that belief, you know, but more than a belief, that statement that represents how we live every minute of every day, that rock is so firm, that rock is so solid a foundation that the world does shake. It isn't you and me. It isn't you and me. But when we live differently because Jesus is Messiah, then the world does shake. The gates of hell are stormed. Then all, the, then all of the evil of Caesarea Philippi and all the evil of Heston and Goshen, all the complacency of Heston and Goshen, it all gets thrown down. And the church stands triumphant. Jesus believes in you. You've got to hear that. 
The disciples could have been 15 or 16, 20 at best. James and John were fishing with their daddy Zebedee when Jesus found them. They're rabbi rejects. They didn't make the cut. In some ways, I didn't make the cut. Doesn't matter. It's okay. It's okay. Nobody has what it takes to beat Caesarea Philippi on their own. Jesus believes in you. And when you get that, or even just get a tiny piece of that, then it's easy. It's imperative to follow the rabbi wherever he goes. Let's pray. God in heaven, may your spirit continue to dwell and move among us. Thank you for your child, Jesus. Thank you that you continue to believe in us and work in us and through us. Continue to be on this campus and particularly with Michelle in these next couple of days. Amen. Just two quick notes. One, again, um, tonight at 9 o'clock in Newcomer 19 in this building over here, invite you to come out. Uh, Michelle will be facilitating a discussion on nurturing a vibrant Christian life in a college setting. And also just one note, as you go out the door and if you walk that way, you might hear some voices being projected from Humble Center. Today is Constitution Day. And so the history department and political science departments are going to be reading the U.S. Constitution starting a couple of minutes ago until 11 o'clock. So if you hear strange voices, that particular voice, probably not the voice of God, but one of our faculty. Go in peace.